Hello, my name is Tina Stoll. I'm also known as Baroness Stoll of Beeston, the former leader of the House of Lords. But this podcast is where I talk to people who don't very often get heard. Our fellow Brits who work hard, get on with life, are quietly successful and from whom we can learn a lot if we listen to what they've got to say. These are their stories, hopes and concerns about the world in which we all live and how they think it could be better. Welcome to today's Britons. Today I'm talking to Sati Javeri. Until she retired, Sati was a secretary and for nearly 20 years of her working life, she worked at Associated Newspapers. First in the editor's office at the Daily Mail as the junior secretary to David English. And it's probably worth me saying that David English was as much a big beast of Fleet Street as Paul Dacre later came to be. Sutty then became PA to Stuart Stephen and was at his side for 15 years, whilst editor of the Mail on Sunday and later the Evening Standard. Sutty is an old friend of mine, and we first met when I worked in the press office at number 10 in the early 90s. And I was interested to hear about her experiences as a secretary working for senior people in a range of businesses and settings, so we can understand better the dynamic between someone in a junior role supporting a more powerful figure. And in this conversation, we go on to discuss the same theme, but in a broader context, including the way that the world of politics and other powerful forces responded to the result of the EU referendum. I'll start the tape from where we are talking about lockdown, during which Sutty had to shield, and her views on the media she consumed during a long period of isolation. I'm a very much a newspaper person and uh, the news and everything. And I think the only thing that really drove me potty during those moments and still does is the news uh, driving me insane. And that's where I started losing my temper. And I actually got to the point where I had to switch off the news. I couldn't listen to any more uh, journalists arguing and shouting with people. You know, they that drove me mad. So, what was it about the way in which the media was then in terms of the well, way? Well, I love the media, as you know. I mean, I worked in newspapers for 18, 19 years. I love it all. And I think journalism has now become too big for their boots, I think. That's that's the only way I would say it. They're so important. And trying to get information from politicians uh, during all this period, it just wasn't possible. You know, they were arguing rather than trying to get information. That's what we, the public, needed, the information. They were just arguing with them. And they got a politician on there and said, can you guarantee us? you know, this was a new pandemic, a new disease, and all the journalists wanted was a guarantee that the government's going to do this, that and the other. Well, you know, we're not stupid. Nobody can guarantee anything in this sort of era. Maybe this is a point at which for you to explain what your time working in newspapers, because you work for Associated Newspapers. I mean, it's probably worth adding that you're retired now and you worked in other places as well after you'd finished in newspapers before you retired but tell us about what you did when you were working in newspapers and when you first started and who you were working for 
Right. I started on the Daily Mail working in David English's office. Um, he had his own PA and I was number two working for the deputy and associate editors. And then from the Daily Mail, I went to the Mail on Sunday with uh, Stuart Stephen, who became the editor. And then from there to the Evening Standard with Stuart. So all three titles that I worked on. And it was one of the most fascinating times of my life, you know, really interesting. I learned a lot and it was incredible to be with all these people who had so much knowledge about the world. Yeah, it was a good time for me. So what was the year that you first started working for David English and alongside Ina? 1979. So tell me about, you know, that boss secretary relationship that you experienced when you got to associate it. Did you feel that you were also being taken seriously and you were playing an important part in terms of the overall success of the paper? Absolutely. But but right at the beginning, I mean, I think they all realised how, well, could I say naive I was about newspapers. I didn't know anything about newspapers. I didn't know anything about journalists. So it was a matter for the first couple of years where I was just absorbing what was going on. Yeah. and, And learning about how newspapers worked. The job I had was pretty junior at the time I mean having said that you know working for someone like David English is is a a bit terrifying well I used to be terrified you know every time I went to take dictation but after a while you get used to it and and he was an incredible person so you're learning all the time I suppose I should have asked you this before but how did you come to work at the Daily Mail I mean was the job advertised or I mean do you remember do you remember what led you there Yes, it was advertised. I think I applied for it. I then had an interview with Ina, first of all, and then I had an interview with David, and it all went very well. But the one thing they said at the time, and they said you would have to belong to a union, and I'm very anti-union anyway, so therefore I phoned them up and said, no, I'm not really interested in, in becoming a member of the union. But then I was thinking about it afterwards, you know, walking down past the river, thinking, this is such a great job. You've got to, you know, swallow your principles here and and join the union. (laughs) So I actually phoned up and said, look, I've changed my mind. And um, and I, I went through it. But it was awful because whilst on the Daily Mail, the union went on strike and we all had to go on strike and I refused to go on strike. Really? Oh, yeah, I walked through the thing. And I was summoned before the union leaders, you know, to say, what have you been doing? Anyway, as it turned out, because I was working for a director of the company, you were therefore excused. You could be excused from being in the union. So it worked out very well. What, so you left, you resigned your membership of the union then? I had to because I was working for a director. Oh, so right, you can't okay. be a member of the union. Oh, I see. I don't know if things have changed, but that's how it was at the time. So it was very political then. And I I really, and the strike was nothing to do with newspapers. I believe it was something, I remember it was something to do with the health service. And they were, you know, backing it up. And, you know, (laughs) there was no vote on it or anything. You were just told you're on strike. So, I mean, that's how the unions worked in those days. Wow. And do you remember ever David English saying anything to you about the fact that you... Oh, yes. 
<laughs> cross the picket line? No, because they had to produce the paper. And there were like just a handful of people producing the paper and they did produce the paper. And I remember I was a racing editor. I had to get all this stuff. I had all this racing stuff coming in and, you know, writing it all down. I think there were, what, maybe 10, 12 people, you know, brought the Daily Mail out. Wow. It was very exciting. I bet it was. And how long did that last for? How long was that period, strike period? Uh, ooh, what can I say about I can't remember, Tina. I really can't. Maybe, oh, I don't even know. Was it a week or something? I, I don't know. I can't remember. Gosh. But that must have been yeah. quite a bonding experience, though, for oh, you. Oh, yes. It was wonderful, yeah. I remember the managing uh, director of Daily Mail, you know, uh, he was ordering food from you know these restaurants for for these dozen people that brought the paper out and we're all around the table around the back bench (laughs) eating it was fun it was well it's very serious because you know I mean losing an issue of the Daily Mail losing a lot of money but they did bring it out so that was the main thing Gosh, I don't think you've ever told me that before. That's... Yeah, I've just remember, well, I remember that. It was because I was talking about how I got into it, the unionism. Yeah. And so I've not been very fond, I'm not a fan of unions. I mean, I think there's a place for them, but I think their power got too great, you know. And then uh, Thatcher came along and shattered that. Wow. And tell me what it was like working for Stuart Stephen, because, I mean, he, his politics were a little bit different to yours anyway. I know, I know. So we used to have quite interesting um, discussions and debates. He was such an intellectual that he used to, we used to sit there and have discussions about something or the other, or he would explain everything. And it all made sense, you know, it just made all made sense until I went away and thought about it. And I thought, well, just a moment, Stuart, what about such and such and such and such? But at the time, he's so fascinating to listen to that, you know, you never think about these things. So I really admired him uh, tremendously. Not his politics, of course, but, you know, yeah. I I know that what was important to you was the fact that, you know, he was interested in your views. Yes. You know, really discuss things with you. And you felt that, you know, as I say, you were were recognised as a professional person. You might have been a secretary, but you took your role seriously. And clearly, I mean, as you've demonstrated, your job was very important to you and you weren't going to have it put in any jeopardy, even by a temporary you know by a strike you know but and that was that was reciprocated oh and and what I loved I mean Stuart used to do his uh, own leaders you know and before we had these uh, computers and everything I used to take that down on a Friday night about midnight you know take down the leader uh, for the paper on Sunday and also, when he did an article, anybody bought in an article on, on occasions, he'd say, Sooty, read that, tell me what you think, which was really nice because I used to tell him what I think. And, and if he didn't agree with me, well, fine, he didn't. But at least he'd ask my opinion, which was, I mean, he had the last say on everything, you know, and he would ask for your opinion, he'd think about it and say, no, you're, you know, I don't agree with it, it's going as it is, you know. So that was fine. But I did feel as if I was contributing something, you know. Mm. Mm. Sometimes he did agree with me and, you know, maybe an article was changed or a leader, a bit of a leader was changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that's, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a very, I, you know, very powerful, 
It's a very yes. satisfying thing to know that you've been able to influence somebody in terms of what yes. they think, who is in a more senior position to you. So, as you've said, you also worked for him while he was editing the Evening Standard and then he retired. And I know you were at the paper for a little while after that, but then you left the paper too. So that long part of your working life, uh, the papers finished and then you were, had you got something else to go to straight away then, Sutty, are we? No, I didn't have anything. And I went uh, temping, which wasn't the greatest time of my life, but I did temp for a few, uh, for, oh, maybe, what was it, a year or so? And I eventually got a permanent job, which didn't work out. And then I maybe did more temping. I think I did a lot of temping yeah. in that time. And just remind me again, what was the sort of time frame? This was the late 90s, was it? Yes, it was the it was the year I left. The year everything happened. Tony Blair was elected. Diana died. You know they were the major stories, and I missed out on all that at the newspaper. So ninety seven, I I had left. Right. And do you mind me asking what sort of age were you at that time? You know, I'm just trying to get a just context for. Oh yeah, I was fifty. Right. Okay. So that's quite, I mean, that's quite a big thing to suddenly find yourself looking for a new job again at the age of 50. I mean, that's, yeah. did you feel worried? I mean, how, how did it affect you yourself at that point? Oh, I, I was, I was worried and I wondered if I'd done the right thing. However, it was done and had to do it to get on with it. I, and at 50, it was difficult. When you were temping, I was temping at the same time. And I know we used to sort of, you know, share stories. We were we were registered, you know, with the similar sort of temping agency. <laughs> I mean, I think you took it better than I did. I mean, I, I found temping awful. I mean, I hated it. Yes. I'd, I'd, I think for me, it was definitely the lowest point of my working life. and I, And I found it so soul destroying going into these different places you know every couple of weeks or whatever and nobody really not interested in you you know assuming that you were stupid or at the same time they'd then ask you to do something but give you no context no background yes you know yes. and so almost mm-hmm. as if they expected you to fail so they weren't going to bother with any kind of relevant information that would allow you to succeed or you would then work for some you know nutcase who wanted you to do it only their way and you'd get these yeah. list of instructions step-by-step instructions that you know as if you were some sort of robot I mean I I, I hated it Oh, Tina, I, what you said, you know, I would, I would echo that. But I had to earn a job um, to earn some money. So, Me too. Yeah, I had to do it. There were some jobs that came up that, that were really nice, you know, and I got on and, and they used to ask me back, you know. So it, it did work out. But majority of the jobs, you know, they, they weren't interested. You know, having had not just your you know, nearly 20 years at the newspaper, but also all of the jobs that you'd done before going there. You've been, as I say, taken seriously. You've been a professional. You are a professional. You know, you take your job. You want to do it well. Are there any kind of examples you can give of where you were working for somebody, whether it was in a temporary situation or something which was permanent, where it was quite a shock just how that was no longer the case and you weren't taken seriously. And any kind of examples or illustrations of what that meant and how that made you feel? Yes. Um, the one job that I, I remember going to, I was only there for six months, but in the six months, I'm a confident person. I know I can do the job, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
that in the six months I was complete wreck. I came out of that job, completely lost my confidence and I just didn't know how it had happened. And I was working for this person and she, uh, she was a chief exec and I had to go through the hoops to get the job. You know, you had 120 shorthand, you know, 80 typing. I had to go through a psychometric test. I had to do this, that and the other and eventually got the job. And I was completely undermined in everything I did. And it was just awful. And a second case that the two jobs that I had is another one. And and this was a guy who I thought was really lovely, you know, really nice. But when I started working for him, it was total control. He had to have control over, to the point where he told me how to file. Now, you know, you're working for a chief executive of an organisation. He shouldn't be interested in filing, you know. No, no, you'd think you'd have better things to do. Yeah. 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 And instead of like... Stuart and David and other people I've worked for saying, Sooty, I want you to do this, blah, 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 get on with it. You know, they would, they're controlling how you do it. I know the world of work has changed quite a bit over the years because technology means that the role of secretary is not, you know, it doesn't exist in the same form perhaps as, you know, as it might have done in the past when you and I first started working. But I think nonetheless, there are roles, you know, in the workplace where, The purpose of them is to support other people in positions of greater responsibility, be more effective in doing their job. You've got to have that sort of mutual respect and that mutual understanding of the professionalism required for both of those roles. Let's move on a little bit from you know, actual sort of work. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you, I know, Sutty, that uh, you voted to leave in the European referendum. Yeah. And one of the things I'm quite keen to hear is what led you to decide you were voting leave? And was it something which you had always wanted to be able to do and wanted a referendum, you know, wanted there to be a referendum in order for you to exercise your vote in some way? Or was it something which, you know, you only really started thinking about once you knew there was a referendum? No, I voted to go into the uh, the common market as we knew it then. That's, I did vote there, but, but then I think I was at an age where I didn't think long and hard enough of what, what it meant. I just took in what, you know, the newspapers, the broadcast, you know, they're telling you this and this is a good thing. Fine. So I went into it and I voted to go in. Then I think when we became the e, uh, European Union, I can't remember when that was, when it started changing and throwing its weight around, and that's when I, I started disliking it. Also, one of the, <laughs> I know this is going to sound ridiculous to people, but at one stage, you know, uh, Europe had mountains of butter and lakes of oil and mountains of you know, there was all this food and they were burning it. And I remember my sister and I uh, talking about cauliflowers and they just burnt tons and tons of cauliflower. And they were, anyway, from that moment onwards, I thought, no, I can't like this, uh, this organisation. And from then, you know, I sort of became a critic. Well, not critic, but I was sort of thought about it. And 
And what happened in this country? I think our politicians became, well, they couldn't do anything because they had to just sign off what the EU said. They're not accountable to us anymore. We, we can't say anything. And our parliaments, their hands are tied because they've just got to sign off whatever the EU says. And when the referendum came, yeah, I was over the moon. And I can't tell you how delighted I was when we, when we voted to go out. I was shocked. I was surprised because I thought... You know, it would have been the Remainers who'd have won, but uh, I was over the moon. So when the result happened and the UK voted to leave the European Union, did you expect it to then just happen? What I mean by that, Sati, did you expect, you know, to have to wait then sort of another four <gasps> years before oh, it happened? Oh, God, what, what a torture. It. What a torture <laughs> that was. Oh, I was so angry. I was so angry all for four years, I think. Now it has happened and we've left. I mean, do you feel now you're you're no longer angry? And I know you were very frustrated because I know that, you know, during those three or four years, we would talk about it and, you know, we'd talk about the House of Lords and, and what oh, yes. was going on there. And I know you don't like the House of Lords full stop, but... but <laughs> And never have done, but you know, sort of after after yes. Brexit, it was even more annoying to you. But I just wonder how you're feeling now. I mean, is it? Well, I now feel more angry with the European Union because you know they're still making. I, I think they're behaving absolutely badly about it. I think my whole anger was that we're a democratic country. Partly, not the House of Lords, Tina, I'm sorry to say, but as a democracy, I believe in that. We had a referendum. There should not have been any nonsense about it. The people had spoken. And if the the people's voice is not, not relevant, then I don't know where we are. And that's why I do object to, you know, people, individuals going to court about this, that and the other, you know. And the House of Lords, it's, it's an unelected body and it... You know, it it caused an awful lot of problems. And I felt that in some way we were back to Europe. You know, it's an unelected organisation. And we've got an unelected body who's telling, saying, you lot were wrong. You know, in that respect, I was very angry. I mean, during the Brexit debate and after the referendum, the House of Lords, really, there was such a horrible sense of elitism there that we who voted to get out, we didn't know what the hell we were talking about. I'm not stupid. I'm not intelligent. I'm not brilliant. But I'm not stupid. And I know what I wanted. And I'm sure there are millions of people out there that did as well. And I'm still getting angry about it because there was this thing. You You don't know what you voted for. How dare they say that? You know, how dare they even think it? That was so wrong. Mm -hmm. And I feel angry even now when I think about Mm. it. I mean, and I agree with you. So, you know, I think it's it's absolutely wrong for whether it's the House of Lords, House of Commons or anybody else to think that people voted the way they did because they didn't understand or that they are stupid. And I would just say, Sati, you are intelligent. So, um, yes, you are. So Reasonably. Yeah, yeah, but you are. I mean, you know, and I wouldn't do yourself down, quite frankly. You know, and I mean that. I just used to get so angry with uh, even, uh, you know, the Remain politicians in the House of Commons when they came on television, when they were rabbiting on about what they really hadn't looked at the country 
people listen to the country, as Boris actually proved in 19, at the uh, election in uh, 2019. Well, we all know Boris had two minds, you know, <laughs> he didn't know which way it was going to go in the referendum. The fact is that he recognised it and, and the people rallied around him. So... <sighs> How long that will last, you don't know. But at Mm. the time, he was the right man and everybody rallied around him. I still feel angry that I was being regarded because of my vote, that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I think what we've seen over the last four or five years, whether it's about Brexit, but also in a way to about the pandemic too, in terms of is that too often there's a battle going on between different parts of the sort of Westminster crowd, but it's not just Westminster. It's 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 everybody who is involved, or you know, everybody who is in a in sort of you know a senior, influential, powerful position. Because I'd include sort of you know aspects of business in this too, or you know the tech world or whatever. And you've got this sort of battle going on sometimes, which which feels like you know a fight where the public then is looking on the sidelines, saying, "What are you all? You know, actually, yeah. you know what." sort of we're over here and you know that's what you're spending all your time getting upset about and rowing about is not the stuff that is really where we are and and what where people want us the politicians to to focus our time and worry yeah I would agree with you it's the same thing happening now yeah now we could go on, but <laughs> we probably shouldn't. So I, I think probably what we'll do, we'll draw this to a close. But maybe some other time, City, we can record another one of our conversations. But uh, <laughs> well, if you want me to go ranting on about something, do call me. I'm very good at that. <laughs> no, but, but I don't think you do rant on. I think um, what you do is you know your own mind. You know, and you you're. I'm opinionated, as everybody tells me. No, I think you. I think, but the important point is city that is your opinions are valid they're legitimate you know every right you know Mm -hmm. and whether people agree with you or not a bit like you were saying when you were working with Stuart I mean you know you have a discussion with him you'd have a debate and sometimes you know you and he would agree and sometimes you wouldn't Um, but you still you you carry on working with each other yes yes and I've got some wonderful friends uh, and in fact there's a group of us, I think you've met them, Dawn, Diana and Deborah. And we have loads of political discussions, you know, all the time. And one of them is, is completely opposite to me uh, on the political spectrum. She's very left wing. But I absolutely adore her. I love listening to her because she's not she's not stupid either. She's got, you know, and she's got views. So and she also makes me think because she has a points of view. But this is what I mean when you watch journalists on television. They don't make you think because they're arguing all the time. You know, they're arguing with the politician. Sometimes it's not even intelligent. So it's lovely to talk to somebody who's on the other end of the spectrum and listen to those views. So, yeah, it's it's good. I, I like it. And I think for me, I mean, you know, it's always, I mean, you and I sort of share a lot in common and we often, you know, we agree far more than we, you know, we disagree. I find it, I like to listen to other people. You know, I like to hear what they think Mm. and and why. I mean, you wouldn't want to just 
speak to people who who yeah. just agree with you for the sake yeah. of agreeing with you yeah. yeah but I've always loved talking to you Tina because I learn a lot from you as well because I, I mean you're uh, you're well within the political community so you know what's you know I mean it's not you know what's going on but you know how it all works you know so you can explain things to me that I don't understand and we do have wonderful discussions I love meeting up with you when we're meeting up for lunch again <laughs> <laughs> well what we'll do after after I've, I've brought this to a close we'll put a date in the diary okay all right then Sutty well take care and I'll be back in touch very very soon stay on the line and I will fix a date for all right Tina you take care yeah you too see you bye one of the things I took from what Sutty had to say is that powerful people can only succeed if they take seriously the people they rely on for support whether that's in a boss employee relationship or collectively and on a much bigger scale, like when all the powerful forces from parliament, broadcasters, the city and beyond tried and failed to frustrate and scupper the Brexit vote. If we are to level up and bridge our divides, we will need to listen to each other more and show more respect for each other, even when we disagree. Sutty's story and the experiences she shared is proof not only that it's possible, but just what can be achieved when we get it right and what can go wrong when we don't. As always, thanks for listening. And if you found this conversation interesting, do please share on social media this episode and the others in this series. Thanks again and bye for now.